Something horrible is invading New York. Something terrifying. Something you've never seen before. It's the killer condom, the rubber that rubs you out. Hello and welcome back to Scream 101. I'm Brennan and my special guest for today, I'm going to introduce right off the bat, he's the one, the only Patrick Hamilton from the Kill by Kill podcast. Say hi to the nice people. Oh, greetings and salutations, internet. Um, Patrick has joined me for the massive undertaking of discussing Killer Condom, <laughs> um, which is a 1996 German horror comedy recommended by our listener Milo Mook, who's also like a Kill by Kill super fan. Yes, he is, and um, I don't know why anyone necessarily thought I was the perfect person for this film, but I can at least say it was an experience watching it. See, no, that's why I'm the one completely behind the decision of bringing you in on this, so I'm the one to blame if um. <laughs> I don't know that blame is the word I'm going to use. I don't know that that's true. Okay, good. That's I'm glad about that. But I knew it would be a treat for Milo. And also, I love your perspective on things. And I couldn't wait to hear what you thought of this movie. <laughs> um, real quick, I'll read out the plot as, as, as Google tells me. Um, well, first off, it's uh, directed by Martin Waltz, um, based on comic books by Ralph Koenig. I, I can do German. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's the plot: a lecherous college professor. Well, this is oh, this is very granular. Yeah, <laughs> um, we're we're going all the way back. Yeah, it's just one paragraph. Um, a lecherous college professor takes a student to a sleazy New York motel and becomes the first victim of a sharp, sharp-toothed murderous condom. Assigned to the case, Detective Luigi Macaroni, played by Udo Samuel, is a gay cop. He visits the motel picks up young hustler Billy, played by Mark Richter, and takes him to a room where they barely escape intact from an attack by another vicious prophylactic. Macaroni must then overcome the understandable doubts of his superiors to launch a full investigation into the deadly condoms. Now, I, for my first quibble is that he does not remain intact. He loses <laughs> something in that battle. Yes, he loses one of his testicles. <laughs> On... Because he veers who... to the right? I, I I don't understand how that works. Because this film wants you to think a lot about Luigi's penis. But only shows you the shadow of it on other people's faces. <laughs> Which, we'll get, that is a key moment. But, I mean, his penis should be third build, probably. Yes. It's, it is certainly, we talk about it almost as much as the farm he grew up on. He does love to talk about the farm. <laughs> he does. I, I, this film is very interesting in many ways in how it approaches. That is the most very, correct statement you've ever said. It, it's it's sorry, I said that's dichotomy. the most correct statement you ever said. <laughs> um, oh God, I hope not. Thank you, uh, Skype. <laughs> um, the it's it comes at you with such interesting ideas. But it is delivered in a medium that, I'll just come out and say this, that there are a great many people who love the trauma aesthetic. 
And I don't have anything against that necessarily, but it's sort of like having, the only thing I could compare it to is having uh, an organ transplanted into your body that isn't your blood type. There isn't anything wrong with that organ. It's just that they don't, doesn't work in you. And that's how I feel about most trauma stuff. It uh-huh. just doesn't work necessarily for me. And there are a great many things about this film which I found surprising and interesting. And then a whole lot about it that made me want to throw my computer in the trash. <laughs> okay. Well, I can't wait to dive in on that. Um, yeah, this movie was distributed by Trauma. I don't know... 100% how much they were involved in the production of it, but it's definitely their type of movie yes. through and through. Um, but yeah, so um, as always, we rate movies out of five on scariness, campiness, effects, and quality. Um, I, I, it's probably the most important thing, were you scared by Killer Condom at all? I was not scared by the things that you would normally find scary. Either the creature the situation or um, the visceral idea of someone chomping your penis off. Uh-huh. Um, what I did find scary was how Luigi would just walk into the street without any care for traffic. That was the most frightened I got of any moment in this entire movie. He spends a good quarter of this movie just walking into a New York thoroughfare without any sense he never looks if a car is coming his way well that's how you know he's just like a hardened badass he's grown up not grown up but like he's like been changed by the new york streets he knows them well (laughs) i suppose so i would say one okay um i'd actually i'd be generous and give it a two out of five um I think certain of the like obligatory tension scenes of like, oh, there's something shaking in this purse and we're going to walk towards it and like something's going to pop out. And I, I think they're reasonably competent. And also there is the like just genuinely horrifying nature of the mass castration that's happening in this movie. <laughs> I don't know. It, I'm almost in favor of some of it. Uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> it it takes a there's a, a fatal mistake, I think, in this, in that it kind of wants to have everything both ways. And as such, it presents a lot of people who are um, engaging in sex trafficking who are presented as terrible people. And then a whole bunch of people who are engaged in sexual trafficking who are not, which is refreshing, but it conflates all of them into one giant ball, and therefore it's hard to go. It kind of wants you to go, oh, those people deserve to have their penises chomped off, but these people don't. Wait a second. I don't. There's maybe that's a flaw by design, for all I know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think um, something I'm going to bring up a little later is that there's a kind of bigger thing thing going on in my mind with like that specific element mm-hmm. um and i don't know if i feel like that many characters deserve their fate except for the uh what if this movie was made today what we could easily call uh the trump allegory character yeah um the like republican politician who he's he's running for president right I actually i watched this like a week and a half ago so the details <laughs> have slipped a little bit I mean, as much as someone can run for president when all you do is speak German, 
Yes. <laughs> he totally is running for president. And I will just very quickly say, I was at first taken aback by the fact that everyone spoke German. And then I enjoyed the fact that everyone spoke German, but we're clearly playing American people. Yes. And New then York. I vacillated between those two things throughout the entirety of the film. Well, see, I loved it, that part, because it's this weird transliteration of like what could only be described as a neo-noir monster movie. Mm-hmm. Um, like this like hard-boiled New York cop it's just spouting German this whole time. Um, and there, there's a lot in the movie of that's kind of displaying how the Germans think Americans are, which is really fascinating. Yeah. Um, like, they go to a bar and they have these giant steins of beer. And it's like, that's not how this thing works. <laughs> um, but the, I think that it's the anachronistic qualities of it that I enjoyed the most. Like, I, I love that scene where the couple from Oklahoma are inquiring about yes. their daughter. And he's wearing a giant cowboy hat. And they're saying these things that would sound very rote if it were a TV movie and this couple were on you know, it playing the same role, but they're all speaking German. Like there's some, that was the moment I'm like, Oh, I accept this as something this film is going to do. And then the giant beer steins were one of those, like, well, now you just want to have it both ways. I think they just straight up didn't know. <laughs> and maybe that's part of its charm. Yeah, I mean that that's how I choose to receive it. Also literally those characters are from Farmville, Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah. It's there's not subtle. If anyone was wondering if Killer Condom was subtle, a uh, newsflash, it is not. It truly shocking. <laughs> um speaking of though, um what really is going to be the core component of this discussion, what's your campiness score for Killer Condom out of 5? 1100? <laughs> It is perhaps one of the most, you know, intentionally campy films that I've seen that is outside of, you know, being shot uh, on a shoestring budget in Baltimore. It is, by design, insanely campy and for distinct purpose. And there are times where it really appealed to me and times where I um, felt it hampered its messaging a little bit. So, uh, again, if if people are going to go, well, you have to decide one or the other on this movie. I don't know that this is – I'm going to be the person who helps you because I really flipped and flopped practically every two to three minutes on, on this film. Yeah, no, it, it's a tough blend because um, there are certain moments of the plot that are surprisingly um, sober – Mm-hmm. Um and more invested in just telling its story than being campy, which I think is the more German half of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, I think I'm giving it four out of five. Um, for that particular reason, because it is an incredibly campy movie, but it is undercut by things that aren't and that are taken seriously. And I do like those things, but they're kind of there is that cognitive dissonance there. Yes. Um. And it, it, I mean, it's obviously very progressive in a great many ways, but it's also having its cake and eating it too when it comes to areas like, you know, it's, it's, 
I wouldn't even say the character of Babette is transsexual. I would say that they were attempting for a classic transvestite character. And obviously that sort of bristles up against, you know, modern sensibilities. So yeah, it, it, it does do that. But, um, we do have to remember that this is a movie that came out in the nineties and also is a European movie. So there's a lot of cultural dissonance between like where the queer community was then and now. Mm -hmm. Like there was not a lot of understanding of that in general. It was like, you almost couldn't get it right because nobody knew what was happening. Yes. Well, no one was encouraged to know what was happening. It was especially not, but I mean, uh, I think one of the reasons for the campiness being so effective, because it obviously is, it is campy on purpose, which can usually be a poison to a movie. Mm-hmm. But um, you comparing it to John Waters was like absolutely accurate. Um, gay filmmakers, and I don't know exactly who in the crew or cast was actually gay, but somebody certainly was. Yes. <laughs> um, they kind of have a more innate sense of what they're trying to accomplish with camp. Um, It's more of a dialogue with other queer movies and it's more successful because they kind of know how to handle it better. Yes. I mean, it's odd, you know, just out of the blue, I had recently revisited cruising. Um, Oh man. And so this was, you know, they have, a nearly identical sequence, which I believe is a direct comment on cruising when Luigi sends his partner into the gay bar, which uh, it's not even really a gay bar. This is a leather bar. This is, (laughs) this is a distinct, this bar has a clientele, which is into leather. And are we talking about cruising or killer condom or both? Uh, both. <laughs> okay. But but a Killer Condom, Luigi sends his partner into this leather bar uh, with a hanky in his back pocket to send a distinct signal yes. to uh, the people in the bar. But he's doing it to prove to his partner that the men that they are trying to save from this killer co- rash of killer condoms are real people who deserve help. And at, at one... At like... I was just kind of like, I love that this trashy movie is has dedicated itself to proving the humanity of queer people. But it ends in a joke where the partner gets peed on and he's very unhappy about it, as most people who aren't into that sort of thing would be. And I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm just, it's kind of up and down and all over the place. I actually think it's pretty easy to draw a comparison between this movie and a previous one we did this month, which was the Slumber Party Massacre. Uh-huh. Um, that movie was a feminist parody of a slasher clashing with Roger Corman exploitation. Yes. And this is a queer parody of a B-Monster movie that's clashing with like a trauma-esque um, style of gross out humor and like gore. Yes. Um, so you're right. There, there is that dichotomy there and it doesn't always work, but I do like both halves very much. <laughs> well, I, you know, I've often said it on my program and I may even said it on yours, uh, 
during any visit that I've been graced to, to come on. But you, a movie should paint any piece of art, should paint a target and aim for that target. And if it hits it, you're still, you're going to leave a lot of area that you don't hit. And so it's okay to feel outside of the target area if it actually hits the target it was aiming at. That that means that there's going to be people who are just left outside of it wondering, was this for me? Chances are it might not have been, but you're not really, you shouldn't feel less than just because it wasn't aimed at you. And so I feel this film does hit the target that it's aiming at. Um, And so... You know, I'm I'm really okay, you know, not necessarily feeling like... I don't know that I'm going to become the biggest killer condom advocate, but I can at least agree that it accomplishes the things that it wanted to accomplish. And that in and of itself is what's surprising and great about killer condom. Yes, I would agree. It has every reason not to. Like, the the deck is stacked against Killer Condom for being <laughs> in any way successful. <laughs> um, but yeah, there, there were a couple of moments I did want to talk about with within this campiness conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I really do respond to the parts that are like a Tex Avery cartoon. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, like the part where Detective Macaroni... First of all, his name to begin with. Yes. Whatever. Um, <laughs> he... Like it, it is. He's kind of been bragging about how big his penis is, but when he shows it to the hustler Billy for the first time, you, you mentioned this earlier. You do see the shadow of it across his face, and it's this glorious, like opening of two thousand one, a space odyssey <laughs> moment where he's just <laughs> sitting there in awe of this shadow across his face. <laughs> oh man, it's so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it is wild, but I, you know. Yeah, some of the sound effects go overboard, but that's part of its aesthetic. It yeah, never... like people's hair is blowing back at one point. Yeah, I mean, th- you know, Luigi has one. There's a policewoman in the department who's known for getting confessions out of people just by growling at people. And, <laughs> like, this guy's hair just stands on end when she growls at him. Yeah. And so there, there's, like... It's it's way over the top, but I don't think if you were to rent something called Killer Condom, you're expecting a, you know, contemplative look at sexual health or like this is a this is like hereditary. This is like the witch. This is a serious horror film. <laughs> yes. So you know. Yeah, it's just wild. I it's either something you're into or you're not. And I I do mm. wonder for the unconverted what their reactions are to be. I I want I don't just don't think they would they would watch it at all. I don't think they would click on it is my guess. No, yeah, it it like it tells you what it is going to be. I mean not not in specific terms because there are a lot of things that are surprising about Killer Condom, but it tells you that it's going to be working in this very blue space. And covering a lot of topics that are very sexually taboo <laughs> um, and just different. Yes. I, um, I, yeah, I think it comes from a sensibility like everything here is kind of cheap and gritty. 
but there's also an authenticity to it that you don't get. And I'm going to make a comparison to something like Ginger Dead Man or Evil mm-hmm. Bong. Yeah. Those are films that do not try because they're already coming from a standpoint of this is cheap. This is supposed to be stupid. We're not going to make it any smarter than it is. You and know, I, the, these filmmakers believed in Killer Condom. Yes. They absolutely believed that they could do something that was interesting and different. And it is that 100%. It's way uh, better at it than half of the killer shark movies you see on sci-fi. And (laughs) what half means is steadily rising every month. Um, (laughs) But... Yeah, um a uh, one more th- uh that that lady who the cop lady who interrogates people by growling at them. Another way that Killer Condom is in conversation with cruising cuz cruising has that big guy in a diaper that slaps dudes around. Yes. So I I really feel like somehow Killer Condom is informed or in a in a cinematic conversation with cruising. Cruising is unaware of this, I might add. But Absolutely. Well, it came out but, 16 years before. True. But it was also not in – it's not something – it obviously made an impact on the writer, director, people behind this because it's not like Cruising has been so readily available. Like everyone owns a copy of Cruising. It was, I don't even think Cruising made it to DVD until DVD was practically dead. So, yeah, it, it's not the Friedkin movie that people um, are introducing you to the director with. No. So the fact that they decided to take on a creature feature version of that is super interesting. It's interesting to have a very out and uncomplicated gay character uh, as your lead who you know, it vacillates in between his desire to be a hard-bitten cop and maybe I don't need sex and I certainly don't need love, but obviously is, you know, more than sexually attracted to Billy. He is drawn, there's something about the simplicity of Billy that is connected to the farm he grew up on. <laughs> yeah, that, in, in the, Sicily, right? Yes. <laughs> As we're told over and over. At one point, he talks about the farm in Sicily, and a picture on the wall glows. <laughs> yes. Just this film really were, wants wondering. you to know that that farm in Sicily means something to Luigi. Really? You don't need subtitles for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> No, it will make you pay attention to it. it there there are not subtleties. I, I would not say that this film um, is verbally the best thing about it, but uh, <laughs> just in terms of the any of that might be translation issues. It, it oh, might I, be super funny in German, but it it is the sort of, as you were saying, the Tex Avery of it that uh, elevates it as a comedy. Yes, and I mean, I don't, I, I disagree with you slightly on the dialogue, actually, because there, I mean, there are translation issues, um, <laughs> especially, I mean, there are lines that are still great, but partially because of how awkward the phrasing is, mm-hmm. where it's like, what's a man to do in New York City when he's lonely and without a dick? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll give you that. Yeah. No, but um, there there is some, like like witty fast repartee involved um i mean we haven't talked too much about babette who is a uh well we can't really prescribe what 
Babette is, but Babette uh, was a former cop in the force who now dresses up in women's clothes and performs cabaret number, basically killing me softly over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah, um, without knowing all the words to killing me softly. That should be noted. <laughs> yes. Um, t- at this brothel where the killer condoms first strike. Um, and Babette's in love with uh, Detective Macaroni, but Macaroni is like pushing Babette away. And. There is this line where Babette's like, I was talking to my therapist, and my therapist says, you love me because I remind you of your mom. And when Macaroni finally kicks Babette out, um, Billy the Hustler is like, who was that? And he's like, my mother. Weren't you listening? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm i I'm just really in tune with what this movie is giving to me. So like, I'm, I'm the center of that target <laughs> that they painted on the wall. I And then I think it works. It, that's... I think the most important thing is that uh, just because something not, not and I, as I said at the beginning, I think there are certain factors that are working against me that have nothing to do with killer condom. That being said, I enjoyed it much more than I thought, even as I started watching it. <laughs> I'm so I'm so glad. Um, oh, one more thing I wanted to mention before we th- see, I thought this was going to be a big part. Um, the, I mean, again, these are things that I respond to because I'm very much a part of the weirdo horror camp, but Mm -hmm. also of the, like, campy queer camp. Um, So this combining is very much my sweet spot. But there is a mortician lady. And first of all, another, another comparison to Slumber Party Massacre, there are, like, women in positions of, like, technical skill that, and that's interesting. Yes. Um, But she's talking about, like... Uh, they're, they're talking about a corpse. It's like a plot-based scene, but then she's like, um, this corpse is so boring, I'd much rather talk about this guy. Like, he's simple. He was smothered to death when, like, a lady was sitting on his face, and she's, like, talking about how there's pubic hair in his mouth and just cackling about it. <laughs> and she's so rapturously amused by what's going on with this dead guy. <laughs> uh, as opposed to this artificially created sentient creature that's biting off dicks throughout the city. She's yeah, like, exactly. Ah, I could see that anytime. Exactly. And oh man, it's so good. Basically, if this were an American movie, she would be played by Zelda Rubenstein. Mm-hmm. And I'm very into that. <laughs> I the amount of smoking, aggressive smoking that everyone does in this movie is super interesting. Even for 1996, there is, and it, I'm like, I don't. There aren't too many scenes where Luigi does not appear with a cigarette in his mouth, and then he's only the tip of the smoking iceberg that happens. The, the tip this. of the filter, to so to speak. So to speak. Um, yeah, and just one last thing before we leave this topic. Um, what did you think of the climactic performance uh, by... Oh, let me look up her name really quick. Um, but I'm talking about Dr. Riffleson, the evil <laughs> doctor who has created these condoms or is, I guess, curating the creation of them. Yes. I, I wouldn't say I went on a journey with her because <laughs> it's a bit like... It, I. <laughs> not like a roller coaster it's more like superman the ride you know one where you're launched and immediately go up as high as you could possibly go and then come down just as quickly there's i i mean it's glorious to watch but 
there's no hidden depths here. She has turned up everything to 11 from the word go. Yeah, no, she just totally uproots the entire movie and makes it all about her for like 18 full minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, they've, they've laid a lot of track for plot, but they have haven't really given you any reason as to why all of this is happening. So everything is put on her shoulders to give a reason behind killer condoms. And she only has so much time to work with. And boy, did she, did she take every second of it up? Yes, yeah, she owns that time. Um, and also, I did look up her name. Her name is Iris Berben, and she was just in that movie Eddie the Eagle with Taron Egerton and um, Hugh Jackman. I can see a lot of the people in this film having worked a whole bunch. Not you know, they they feel like they are competent actors who who took a job that would take them some at least some of them to New York City for the filming of this, and. Uh, they they have made solid choices and they don't really back down from them. And I think that's what elevates it from other sort of cheapy monster movies that you might have, that you would normally put killer condom in the same camp as. Yeah, exactly. And, and also um, like the, the campiness of her performance is um, kind of, added to by the fact that it's in German um, because the weird like glottal quality to a lot of her lines is so fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> um, like and there's, there's a line that she keeps repeating, which in English means come here, but in German it's comes, 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 comes. <laughs> and it just keeps going. <laughs> well, I think that describes the movie in total. It just keeps going. But not for too long. It's it's like an hour 46, which is a little longer than I like my B pictures. But it's not like – it doesn't completely overstay its welcome. No. And I think the, the reason it's as long as it is is because it does take entire stretches of time to have this other conversation about, you know, how society views Luigi and how Luigi views himself within society and him standing – up for what he really is. And yeah, he, he gives a sermon about the power of love in the end of this movie. Yeah. It doesn't really shy away from that. It's certainly part of its charm. Um, that being said, I could have done with uh, fewer trips to that brothel bar. <laughs> um, yes. It, it feels like a lot of the same thing over and over again. This film didn't need padding. And I do feel it, it has it in places, but um, it, it could have given more time to other things that I liked. But eh, it's, it wasn't aimed at me anyways. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, and one thing I noticed we haven't been talking about is the killer condom itself. So let's move on to our effects score out mm -hmm. of five. Because this is where killer condom gets to shine. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it, are you saying shine because so much of it is covered in goo? Uh, yes, I am. <laughs> um, I don't know if you noticed in the credits, but the killer condom was designed by H.R. Geiger. Yeah, it is not out of uh, his sort of wheelhouse. It <laughs> no, is, it is not. It is absolutely a tube, which could both be a penis or vagina. It's certainly an orifice. 
It's certainly biomechanical and it's gooey. It's so gooey. Everything about this oozes. I'm honestly, I'm giving it three out of five. Like, the, it's so gross. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I think the film does a slight disservice to the killer condom by staying on it for so long. And yes. I, I, where I feel it is um, not helped is when the condom is in its, um, let's say, non-attack mode. Uh-huh. It's treated like a baby bird. And it doesn't, it, for me, it doesn't quite work as well as, let's say, um, in Jurassic Park movies when there are slightly. Okay, let's not, let's not compare this movie to Jurassic Park. Oh, no, I'm going to directly compare this movie to Jurassic Park. All I'm going to say is there are, like, the compies in Lost World are presented as sort of like, oh, they're not dangerous. They're absolutely dangerous. They just can't kill you the same way a giant dinosaur can. But they, the camera doesn't stay on them quite as long as it stays on the killer condom. And the longer you look at it, the less scary it gets. Um, although, That's true. And also, the, 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 this is the part where the cartoony effects go a little too far in the way that they make these little squeaks and gibbers. Like, yes. I did enjoy condom vision, though. Of course. As much as I enjoy predator vision, uh, condom vision comes in a close second. <laughs> Sorry, I, I can't even say anything. I'm just thinking about it. I mean, they, they're obviously trying to give you the condom's point of view on all of this. Um, yeah, like, what does the condom think about what's happening? It tells you. We just don't understand it. Yeah, because condoms don't speak English, they don't speak German, they just speak condom, and that's, yes. that's their prerogative. And no one knows what the fuck they're talking about. And <laughs> no. even, even though we see, the, I, yeah, <laughs> I mean, let's not think about this too deeply, because obviously if you do, it all falls apart, because it's just irrational. But the the idea that the condom sees and that it has a brain structure throughout it, which also propels it, and it has flexible razor blade teeth that are not visible when it's in its chirpy bird mode. Um, no, 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 that, that makes sense. <laughs> what, what's the part you're having an issue with? Yes, that's the only point. <laughs> Everything else, smooth sailing. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Yeah, the, honestly, the condom is itself is one of the weaker parts of the movie for me, um, because that is the part where it does show off exactly how little budget we are working with here. Yes. Um, conceptually, it's fun, and I love the part where it like floats in on a rubber duck and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, who wouldn't? <laughs> That's, That's when it's kind... at its best. You know when I really uh, enjoyed... There are parts of this movie that I I found myself just laughing uproariously, and that's when it attempts to be heterosexual. It does not work out very well. Um, they, oh, they, tell me more, because this is not something I have perspective on. <laughs> well, the this scene which this presidential figure is being seduced by um, 
I can't tell if it's his wife or his constant mistress. It, the movie doesn't tell you, so why should I know? Mm-hmm. But regardless, it just presents... It, it's one of those things where it presents a woman in a very desexualized manner, although she is dressed in a very sexual manner. Because there is little male gaze going on here. Um, it's just this sort of matter-of-fact thing that she's shown up in a lace teddy thong. And I, it doesn't necessarily feel exploitive because it doesn't treat her as something that you should sexualize. <laughs> so, yeah, because why would you when you've got Billy? Exactly. Billy, the camera leers over. And that's where I give this film all the credit in the world because it is presenting a very queer point of view and it's aimed in that direction. And so when it attempts to sort of be heterosexual, (laughs) it comes off either as a grand cartoon or it's not quite as successful, probably because that's not the film's aim. Yeah, I mean, it's probably about as effective as when they pretend to be American. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's obvious pretend. Um, you should not take that part of it seriously. And yet it takes parts of Luigi very seriously. And it takes his desire for love seriously. So, you know, there you go. Yeah, and that's actually a good transition into kind of um, synthesizing all of those scores into a general quality score um, because Macaroni's quest for love really is the center point of this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, God, it's it's weird that you can talk about it seriously in any respect. But um, this is the part where a Pedro Almodovar drama kind of T-bones the John Waters horror movie that's going on. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, like the, almost the film noir-esque element mixed with the gay love story is something that like is not treated as a joke whatsoever. And honestly, I mean, I don't feel represented by a lot of movies and I'm not saying I'm anything like Detective Macaroni, (laughs) but I did find the romance to be genuinely affecting and like actually romantic. I don't know if you feel the same way at all. Like, just being able to empathize with it. But I definitely responded to that. I feel that Luigi's... Listen, the guy's named Luigi Macaroni. <laughs> so, right then and there, you're not... the the That's the playing field the movie tells you it's going to play on. But his emotional truth and the things that he talks about in terms of what he wants in life and how that is challenged and someone wanting him more than he wants them. And all of this stuff is is played not for laughs. It is played as a truthful journey. And so, yeah, it's as effective as any other sort of, you know, hard-bitten cop teams up with a sexy young gal and they have to solve a problem together. Like, yeah, it works in that fashion because the film takes it seriously, which is nuts for a movie, once again, called Killer (laughs) Condom. It's so out of nowhere. And, like, there's a moment that I think about all the time. Um, cause, um, Luigi Macaroni, 
you know, the very serious character at the center mm-hmm. of this movie. Um, he gives us a lot of um, overdubbed voiceover monologue, and it's not all about Sicily. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's 85%, but yes. Yeah, but in that other 15%, it's him talking about the the big city and how what it has kind of t- made him become and love and, like, desiring warmth in his life. And there's a part where he's just all alone walking back to his apartment, and he's talking about, like, I don't need another person. Like, I'm the only one I need. Like, sex is cool or whatever, but I don't need love. But he's like, but, but I do kind of miss having someone to come home to. And then he goes to unlock his door and Billy's sitting right outside and he says hi, like right when the voiceover is over. And it's like, that's a beautiful moment of connection between the two of them. (laughs) And then they fight some condoms, but like, it's, (laughs) it's so sweet. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all over the place. I, there are, there are genuine moments where I feel like, the movie uses this opportunity to go, hey, I'm just looking for connection in this world. And I am who I am, and I'm not hurting anyone else. And no, and people who are like me would never hurt you. I don't understand why you feel the need to hurt me. And I, I was like, wow, I, I really like this film for this. Yes. And then it spends, you know, a good three and a half minutes with a cartoonish uh, elevator sex scene in which we are not afforded the opportunity to see the sex. We just see an elevator go up and down between four floors and people stare at it complaining. And then <laughs> the Luigi and Billy get off and everyone claps for them. This, God, I, this I ele- love that elevator though. breaking sex. Congratulations. I don't know how to feel about this. I feel um, it's both glorious, but I'm denied. But it's very fulfilling emotionally and yet insanely cartoonish. What I will tell you about that particular scene. Like, yes, I mean, the elevator thing is it's undeniably cartoonish. But the part where everyone claps, I can't tell you how many straight romances where the couples kiss and they are rewarded by an entire room bursting into applause. 100% um, true. Yeah. I just, right. I just watched a, don't ask, but I just watched a Hallmark <laughs> movie um, called, <laughs> um, called unleashing Mr. Darcy, which is a retelling of pride and prejudice set at like a dog show competition. Sure, those two things go together. Yeah, and and the, our two lead characters, they kiss twice in the movie, and both times, everyone in the room just bursts into rapturous applause. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so this is a thing that I did like being transliterated into this weird queer space. You know, I think you're 100% right. I... I the the way our society, you know, like you're normal, yay, is just fucking ludicrous, and that no one else has afforded it is, you know, that does not make people feel good. So, you know what? Fuck it. I love this movie. <laughs> Hooray! Um. Oh, I do have one other question. Uh, I do want to talk about one other part of the movie that is surprisingly serious, but I have a lead-up question. Sure. Have you seen the HBO movie, The Normal Heart? 
Uh, no, I have not. Okay, answer. I, I did you... see the play version of A Normal Heart. Okay, well, that I mean, that's even better. But the thing is, you don't need to see A Normal Heart because Killer Condom has you covered. <laughs> um, oh, okay, yeah. Because A Normal Heart is about the development of the AIDS epidemic and the crisis it caused in the gay community and the American governmental system completely ignoring that for as long as they possibly could. Mm-hmm. Um, and the killer condom, I mean, nothing in this movie is subtle. So it's a pretty brazen metaphor for the AIDS epidemic because, and follow me here. <laughs> um, I mean, the condoms are biting off people's dicks left and right um, in this brothel. It's affecting prostitutes and it's affecting gay people. So, mm-hmm. The government doesn't care. Um, And there is a scene after the Republican guy who's running for office with the slogan, make this country strong again. Yeah. Um, His his super sexy, totally heterosexual lady. They're trying to hook up. Condom rides in a rubber duck, bites off his dick. And then like the mayor or something shows up at the police station and they're like, you have known about these killer condoms this whole time, but you haven't told us. And they say, well, it's just been affecting like gays and hookers. So we didn't think it was important. (laughs) And that's like a actually a really realistic and on the ground metaphor for exactly what happened during the AIDS epidemic. Yes. And I find that really interesting and I totally got it. More than when I was watching The Normal Heart, which is just tragedy porn. <laughs> well, I try not to ascribe too much to the the idea because it was such a massive tragedy on such a catastrophic scale that it is very hard to dramatize without it seeming to be an unrealistic representation of real life because I don't think it can represent real life. That's so true. I will give the normal heart and so many of the gay dramas that were born as a result of the AIDS crisis, that credit it's hard to, it's, it's hard to surmise all of that into one thing and not everything can be angels in America which takes Mm -hmm. four and a half hours to both be comedy and tragedy at the same time to encompass it. Not not everything can be that. So no, and and, no, you're right. And I'm not dissing the normal heart because I did like it. Mm -hmm. Um, The normal heart, it works best as a horror movie, like a disease horror movie, like contagion or outbreak or something. Um, But yeah, no killer condom was where I really came to terms with what, that must have meant for people in the time. True. To feel abandoned by authority. To be yeah. ignored willingly because it you're thought of as uh, less worthy of protection. Yeah, and because c- I am lucky enough to be young enough to have been born gay in a time after AIDS. I mean, obviously AIDS is still around, but after that enormous loss to the community... Like, I came into the gay community, like, 16 years after that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I came into this space that was rocked by something super huge, but it's so hard for someone of my age to really wrap your head around what, around what that really meant. Um, and things like this do really help, and it's interesting. 
I think that makes this even more worthy of uh, an introduction to a wider audience. Yeah, and it, it's it is weird that you can't have conversations like this. I mean, it's it's killer content. <laughs> Um, Again, it's trying for something well above its pay grade. It's using this monster movie to do something else. It's also a cheapy monster movie. So yeah. if you're just looking for that, you're going to get that in spades. But it also has these other elements that, you know, it's just working on a playing field that's super unexpected. And I walked into this knowing zero about it. I'm so and, glad. <laughs> and was, you know, taken aback by uh, some of the things that happen in it. Yeah. And I mean, it, it is very much dressing for the job it wants and not the job it has. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yet I think it accomplishes the, the, basic task i mean it wants to be a parody of uh hard-bitten detective uh stories and it wants to be you know a, a kind of gay version of something you might see like the big easy it, it's it has a lot of the same story beats as something like the big easy where it's all about this sexual chemistry between these two people. And it just happens to be wrapped around this other big mystery. So it, it's, it's playing on a, a bunch of different through lines. And for the most part, it's very successful because it is decided not to hide the weenie on, on any of this. <laughs> Literally quite well. No, it does hide a lot of weenies. Okay. True. I I wish it exposed a lot more weenies. I think that's the one place it could have been bigger and better was to, and maybe this just has to be the 1996 of it was we just don't get a lot of dong for a movie that's very focused on it. You're right. We we do see um, dongs as encased within condoms that are running away. Yes. Well, um, yeah, and that's one of the things where I I felt it could have been afforded a, a more graphic take. I, I just don't know right why it's that. so chaste in, in those areas when the human part of it is so open and exposed in such an unexpected way. Yeah, I mean, maybe it. Um, I don't know. There, there is tr maybe it didn't want to come off as pornographic in any way because even less people would see it. Mm -hmm. Um, because if they are trying to get this message out to the world, it's already packaged in like a thing that a very small subsection of the culture would even pursue. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm not sure about that, but. But yeah, w one thing that is interesting about all of the like massive stuff that it is saying about the world and the society, especially of the 80s and 90s, um, is that horror movies have always kind of had the capacity to do that and very frequently do because they're not regulated and um, wa like w overseen quite as much. I mean, especially one like this from Germany that snuck in through trauma. Right. But... Um, horror movies have always kind of had the ability to um, tap into something that's more primal about humanity and about like the zeitgeist of the culture of the time because they can kind of go all out and do something crazy and no one's going to be surprised when they do something crazy. 
Um, and also the big studios or whatever, they're like, it's just a B-horror movie. I don't care like what they put in the script. Just put it out. Who cares? We're right. giving it 10 bucks. It's the perfect um, – well, it's been so odd to have this sort of horror, supposed horror renaissance when you know horror has been doing this all along. But yeah, absolutely. The idea of elevated horror is such Yawn. gatekeeping bullshit. And the idea that the, these films you know, have a deeper meaning than something else. Like, no, you just didn't want to take the time to understand the meaning that was there. Horror – is the most elastic of any genre because it can extend all the way to silly comedy to something that is so bleak and dire you can barely stand it and all of the things in between fears are inherently universal they cross all sorts of lines and that's what makes them scary that there are little barriers to the fear of being eaten in an ocean by a giant shark yep. or someone entering your home or you just trying to get into your car and there's someone watching you in a parking lot. It doesn't Like in really... Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge. Exactly. Exactly <laughs> like that. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to... <laughs> <laughs> No, you pulled the plug on my speechifying, so now you have to suffer for it. Okay, well, I mean, it kind of happens in Killer Condom, because he starts his sermon, and then the monologue just goes, and then I finished my sermon. <laughs> so that was this moment. <laughs> it absolutely was. Um, Sorry. <laughs> I didn't realize I would be pumping the brakes that hard on this conversation. <laughs> I think um, I got there. I don't, listen, no, you did. I, I edit my own podcast. I cut plenty of my shit out. It's not – I'm not as smart as I think I am. No, I, I think you are almost as smart as you think you are, and that's why we <laughs> like to have you on the show. Uh, again, like Killer Condom, a good 85%. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I think we should land on solid numerical scores. I don't remember if I gave mine. I'm giving this a 4 out of 5 because it is far from perfect, but I love it wholeheartedly. I would say it's a 3 out of 5. Uh, and that comes from, I think it has barriers that some people will not be able to get across. I, I think the way it's presented, like if you listen to this and then watched killer condom, it's probably a four out of five. If you had no idea and you just came into killer condom blind based on, let's say it's DVD or VHS art, which is a screaming woman. Yeah, which not accurate. No, I no, no. But you know, add that to the long list of deceiving, you know, home video art. Uh, yeah. Then I, I think you would just. I think this is a hard uh, line to cross for some people. They're just going to be so dissuaded by the, you know, you're talking like I didn't know this was in German before it started playing. So I think if if. Yeah, yeah. And I, I wish I could have been there. <laughs> it it was an interesting night uh, in bed next to my wife. Um, Did she watch it with you, or was she? No, she was dead asleep. Uh, oh, okay. The, <laughs> I, I I'm telling you, if I had sat down to watch this with her, it, it would not have gone well. She has a l even lower toleration for sleaze than I do. She's just it's just not in her DNA. Fair enough. Um, 
I don't think she would have any problem with the ideas at play in this movie. I think it has everything to do with presentation. Absolutely. And, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's, there's just, there are certain things that people are not going to be able to handle. The cartoonishness of it, the German parody of, of American stereotypes will, I, it's either going to get you and you're going to love it, or it's just going to maybe fall flat. But I think that's kind of okay. You know, the most, and April Wolf of Switchblade Sisters and Village Voice, a great uh, movie reviewer, has often said that the movies that sort of fall into that 55 to 50% on Rotten Tomatoes are probably the better movies because they really work for the people they really work for and really don't for people that don't. It's the, and this is the movie that I think might typify that that I've seen recently, where it's like, if this is your thing, man, you are gonna love it, and if it's not, that's okay too. But there is great stuff to be found if you can get past all that. Yeah, and that that's a very eloquent point. And I'm trying to look up the uh, tomato score for this movie, but of course it doesn't have one. No, um, I can't imagine that this got reviewed across the board. This is one that, that Troma said, this is a great title. We will fool people into renting this and probably has a very rightfully deserved uh, cult following. Yes, um, oh, but the audience score is exactly at 59%, so it's right in that range that you were talking about. Chef kiss emoji here. This, that's <laughs> perfect. Yes. Okay, I, I think that about ends our conversation about this movie, but where can people find you online and maybe tell them a little bit more about Kill by Kill in case they're crazy and haven't already been listening to it? Well, you know, it, again, Friday the 13th isn't for everyone, not that we've uh, stopped there, but... Um, Kill by Kill is dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of many horror films, and that is character. And there's no better example of great characters than in Friday the 13th movies, in which people are just cut down in the prime of life, and their characters might have a name and maybe barely an affectation. And maybe we try clothes. Maybe, sometimes, sometimes not. Sometimes you want them to wear less. Sometimes you would wish that they were wearing a parka. <laughs> But uh, we try to make sense of why they exist and why they do what they do. Uh, and we just attack it in a way that makes sense. And that is to go through the entire franchise kill by kill. Um, and so uh, while we love the Friday the 13th films, we don't believe they are above reproach. And so we take a very comedic take to uh, breaking down all of the gory details from within. And we don't stop there. Uh, in between the movies, we visit other films like Terror Train and most recently Hello, Mary Lou Prom Night 2, which is a pinnacle of queer cinema in, in many ways and shapes and forms. Um, and upcoming, we're going to take a complete left turn, and we're going to do Commando. What? Uh, yeah. People you don't – you, you landed on that? People don't realize this, but Commando is a slasher movie in reverse, where the, the killer wearing the mask is the mask of an American serial killer, and underneath is this, this Austrian bodybuilder. <laughs> And we're going to give it the kill-by-kill kill treatment, 
as a nice palate cleanser before we visit the 09 remake of, of Friday the 13th. You can find us pretty much anywhere uh, at on Twitter at Kill by Kill Pod, uh, on Instagram Kill by Kill Podcast, on Facebook. Just put in Kill by Kill Podcast into your podcatcher and you will find us. Great. And you can find us at Scream101Pod on Twitter, on Facebook at Scream101Podcast. Um, and also, I do want to just say, Kill by Kill um, every other Friday really is appointment listening if you love horror movies or especially slasher movies like me and Milo Mook do. <laughs> well, we thank you guys and uh, we uh, want as many people as we possibly can to enjoy the ups and downs that is 80s slasher films. Yes, so thank you so much for joining us, Patrick. I'm so glad we could get you on the horn for the slim um, amount of time that you were available. Weirdly enough, uh, the phone is is hopping off the hook right now for us. So, uh, yeah, it's been difficult, but I'm glad that I got the chance to watch this movie and talk about it with you. I'm so glad, too. Thank you so much. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. So that's our show, everyone. Thank you again to Patrick Hamilton for being so kind as to join us on this, the final guest episode of the month. Sergio's finally done with finals. He's finally on summer break, so we can return to that promised 90s teen horror month where we're going to be starting with The Craft. We get It's going to be so nice. He'll be back. He won't be uh, like a canned pre-recording. It'll be He'll be live and fresh, full of... Uh, Hopefully A's in the spirit of summer. Anyway, our theme, that, that makes no sense. I'm so hot. Um, but you can uh, find our theme song. At, this is not how you start that. Our theme song is A Beat For You by Pseudo Echo. They're very good. Please check them out. Um, and until next week, good luck on your journey and stay gold, you beautiful people. Goodbye. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me. It's podcasts for the weird at heart. Hey, Brandon. Yeah, Justin. We really need to record a trailer for our podcast. Why? Because that's how we'll get people to tune in. All the great podcasts have them. Oh, okay. Hey, what's this? You own a cassette player? What is this, 1992? This isn't mine. Well, what's on it? Hmm, let's see. Hey everyone, welcome to Eerie Earfuls. Every two weeks we pick a horror movie double feature to compare and contrast for your entertainment. Who chooses rotates each episode. We explain why we chose the films, then proceed to analyze the two. Proceed to analyze the two. Proceed to analyze the two. For your entertainment. You never know what pairings we might choose. You never know. What the hell? Was that... Us on that tape? Hello? Find more episodes on podpeople.me. Podcasts for the weird at heart. Ah!